this week we get to continue our series in Jeremiah. And so this is the fourth week we've been going through the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jennifer and I had a really neat week this week. We actually celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, we decided earlier in the year we wanted to do an adventure. We wanted to, uh, Our kids did it last year and drove the entire Blue Ridge Parkway. And we're like, we need to do that. So we hadn't done it. So we kind of did it in sections instead of all at one time. So we did uh, from like Charlottesville down to, to Galax, that section, back uh, several months ago. And uh, took our time and did a lot of hikes along the way. Uh, we did that. And then... We actually had a chance. I was back in Charlottesville, so I went the other way on Skyline Drive, and drove. And we drove the entire Skyline Drive through Shenandoah National Park, and it's beautiful as well. Got to see that. But this week, we're like, we're going to take several days, and we're just going to start in Galax, go down all the way to the end of the parkway in Cherokee. Uh, we took a lot of time to do some hikes along the way, saw a bunch of, again, a bunch of more waterfalls and, and big summits, and and if you've never done that, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and so, you know, we live right here on the parkway, and yet uh, we just, I think we just don't realize how much beauty surrounds us. And as you get down in the western part of North Carolina, um, you stay above like 5,000 feet altitude for a long time, even over 6,000 feet. So really some magnificent views uh, along the parkway there. And um, it just made me think a lot because you, you, in some of those places, you look and, I mean, you're seeing almost 100 miles in each direction. I mean, it's incredible and you don't see anything. I mean, it's desolate uh, as you go out and you think about the people who settled uh, this area and how tough and how uh, determined they had to be. It really, uh, I mean, you, you think about the culture of the mountains and I really do think we have a, our own unique culture here. And a lot of it is because of the ruggedness of where we live. And I think we're a little desensitized to it. But I think if you came from an urban area and you moved here, uh, you would look around and it would, be almost, uh, it would be almost overwhelming how green everything is and how open everything is and how big. You know. This is a very unique area. And, uh, and I, I thought about that a lot because this culture we live in has shaped a lot of who we are and, and how we think. And, and today we get to dive in and talk about culture a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah was written, uh, you know, he, he prophesied during a time uh, of, of crisis, a time where the people uh, had turned their back against God, and God gave them a message to go and say, this is your last chance. You, you have a chance, but uh, judgment is coming, and, and because of that judgment, Jerusalem will be destroyed, and you're going to be taken into captivity and taken to Babylon. Uh, and, and so he, Jeremiah's message was not a popular message. It was a message where the entire culture, they were doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and they really didn't even care about the consequence. And so it's unique that when he was speaking, right, he was speaking to a, to a whole culture that didn't agree with him. And so for, for me, I look today, and we live in this area, and, and we live in this country that is more and more and more turning its back against God in, in numerous ways. Statistically, uh, we talked about this, how there's more and more people that identify uh, that they have no religious identification. They, they, they don't believe they're Christian. They don't, they, they, 
you know, that, that rise of the people with no religious affiliation is growing every single year. And, and we see that in our culture. It's more and more pluralistic. It's more and more secular. Uh, it's more and more where uh, traditional, long-held biblical beliefs are, are, not, are, are really even confronted now in, in our world today. So we live in kind of a unique time. I think we're in a crisis too. And I think that's why we can learn from Jeremiah. And so let me kind of talk about culture a little bit, because if we want to reach into culture, we need to understand how we can do that. And I think Jeremiah chapter 29, where we'll be today, is really a helpful book for that, a helpful chapter for that. Um, Culture, if you look at the dictionary definition of of culture, um, uh, let me see if I can find it. I had it somewhere. Well... I'll tell you, I'll give you my my basic definition of culture. Uh, The culture uh, is what we make of the world, right? The dictionary definition talks about the the organizations, the literature, the art, the the institutions. All of that makes up the culture we live in. But the simpler definition, it's what we make of the world around us. Um, And and think of that. Uh, Author Andy Crouch, he said this. He said, culture is what we make of the world. It's this relentless, uh, restless human effort to take the world as it's given to us and to make something else of it. This is the original insight of Genesis when God says that the human beings were made in God's image, just like the original creator. We are creators. And when you think about culture, we can either uh, be shaped by the culture around us or we can shape the culture which do you think is more effective Uh, which do you think is more biblical God has put us here uh, to create Uh, we, we we serve a creative God who created us and wants us to be creative as well and and so we really are put into the midst of a culture not to to go along with it not just to condemn and criticize it, but to change it. And so because of that, I'll kind of jump in. We'll talk about culture a little bit. Here's my first point, and it's simply this. We can't escape culture. Now, there have been numerous, there have been numerous people who have tried and just said, culture is so bad, let's just escape from it. You, all the way back to the first century, we had the Essenes, uh, which were a group that stayed around the Dead Sea, and, and they were kind of a separatist group. And they said, okay, we don't like the world and what's going on, we're going to just do our own thing, and kind of have our own little commune, our own little community. Uh, we, we see that even in our world today with groups like the Amish, who uh, say we want to separate out of society, out of culture, Uh, and kind of protect ourselves. Now the problem is, God has given us a mission to go into the world and to make disciples. He's called us to to go to uh, to the ends of the earth with this gospel message. So how do we reach into culture, right, without being influenced or shaped by it? Uh, that, that's really a, a tough thing to do. And, and, and the simple truth is we can't escape it because culture surrounds us everywhere we are. Everything we do, culture is around us. And so today our culture is increasingly post-Christian, post-modern. Uh, you know, we've seen all that. Uh, so what do we do? How do we respond? I'll tell you what a lot of churches tend to do is just get around and, and, and complain about the world talk about how the good old days reminisce about how it used to be and just simply they get together and they're, they're kind of holy huddle 
right? Uh, their, their mentality is, is, well, the world is, is going to all to pieces. We're just going to stay here and we're going to kind of uh, just, we're going to stay together. We're going to separate from the world and we're going to, and the problem with that again is how do we reach people when we don't like them, when we don't care about them, when we don't show love to them? We've got to realize that everyone lives in a culture and we've got to learn how to make that culture better. And, and so that brings me to how do we do that? Well, uh, I learned a, a simple question, a framework that helps us to do that uh, several years ago. And it's just a simple question. And it's simply this. What do we reject, receive, or redeem? So as we interact with culture, the, we have to kind of filter it, right? And say there are some things in culture that we must reject, that we've got to stand up and say that is wrong. We have no part of it. Uh, there's just no way that we can do any. Uh, there are things like that. Like, take something like pornography, right? There's no redeeming quality about pornography. There's nothing good about it as believers because of the effect it has on us, the effect of people it has uh, that are in it. We've got to say we reject that and, and walk away from that. Uh, there are certain things in culture that we have to reject. But then there are some things that we can receive. And we can say they're neither good nor bad. Uh, they're not overtly Christian, but they're not overtly evil. We can take part in them. And so uh, there are many things that fall into that. And, and then there are some things that can be used for, for good or bad. Uh, and, and we can redeem. And even though they've been used for bad in the past, we can raise them up and use them for good. I love it when I see a church take a, an old nightclub, for instance, or a bar and say, okay, we're going to turn this into a church building now. They took a building that was once used for evil, they've redeemed it and used it for good. You could say the same thing about the internet. Lots of bad things on the internet. Social media uh, can be overwhelming at times, but we can take social media and something that some people use for bad, we can take it and use for good. We can redeem it. Uh, another example is uh, our community. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Galax does this big Halloween bash downtown. And so as a church, we could say, okay, uh, there's lots of demonic, lots of weird stuff with Halloween. We want nothing to do with it. But we've chosen to redeem that, right? And because we've got thousands of kids coming here that are coming right at our doorstep, we can give them information about the church. We can create conversations. We can build those relationships with people right here uh, in our community and, and use it for good and, and take the and redeem it instead of using it for uh, bad and allowing Satan to, to you know, we can redeem the things that are good and get away from the demonic, the weird stuff and use it for, that's the question, right? This is, how do we reject? How do we receive? How do we redeem? Um, and so all aspects of culture, they give us an opportunity to reach a world that's desperately in need of Jesus. And so how do we take advantage of those opportunities? Um, and so, uh, you know, if we're going to redeem the culture, that means we have to do more than simply condemn the culture. Condemning the culture is the easy way out, just to sit back and complain about it. But if we want to change it, that's where it gets hard. And that kind of brings me to my, my, point, my, my final point here before we jump in, is we make sense of the world by making something of the world. 
That's how we, I mean, this world, when we live in a crazy time and a period that doesn't make sense, the only way to make sense of it is to make something of it. It's to do something about it. It's to, to quit complaining and start creating. And so uh, I've heard it said before, the way we criticize is by creating. And what that means is it's easy to criticize, but what if we, instead of criticizing, we actually start something new? We do something about it. Let me give you the background for Jeremiah 29. Uh, it's kind of an interesting chapter because uh, we've kind of led up to this point. Now what we've seen uh, is there's another prophet, uh, Hananiah, that's come on the scene. Jeremiah has been telling judgment's coming. You got to get ready. Uh, you're, this is what's going to happen. This is what the Lord says. Hananiah comes along and says, you know what Jeremiah's saying uh, that Babylon's going to conquer us? That's not true. We're going to be all right. Nothing to worry about. Just carry on as you were doing. Now, the way we know whether a prophet speaks truth or not is if he, <laughs> what he shares comes true, right? Then you can trust the prophet. But if what the prophet shares does not come true, then you know that he was not from God. And in this case, obviously, Hananiah was proven to be wrong. And so Jeremiah, now in chapter 29, um, he's writing a letter to uh, the people who have already been exiled into Babylon. He's telling them, you're there, you're going to be there a long time. And not only that, there's more people coming your way. Uh, there's going to be even more people captured and put into captivity. And so how do you respond? And so he's writing to kind of put the, uh, to, to get, to put the record straight here. So in Je Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, verse 4 through 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, he says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem, build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, and then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So a very interesting passage here. Uh, and I think this is good, and I think most churches today struggle with this, so let's kind of dig in. God is telling them, in effect, you're going to be in a place where you don't want to be. You're going to be there a long time. Accept it and make the most of it. Live your life and marry and, and, and have families and be good citizens for the sake of your own prosperity. And for, because of that, you want to seek the welfare of those people around you. He's telling them, you've got to pray about it because it's not going to be easy. You've got to develop loving relationships with them and with me. And, and don't listen to these false prophets who keep telling you lies. Here's what I, I want you to know, right? I think for us, we find ourselves in a very similar situation. We find ourselves in a place where we don't always want to be, where we don't always understand what's going on around us. And God is telling us, you're going to be there a while. Get used to it. And instead of complaining, here's what you do. You seek the welfare of the people around you. You make it a better place. Um, and so I think this is kind of interesting to me because this is not the message that the Jewish people wanted to hear. 
Right? If you were just captured, your city was just overthrown, you were just taken into captivity, you don't want to hear a message that says, hey, go and make friends where you are. Go and share a message of hope with them. No, you're wanting revenge. You're wanting to get back. You want to see justice. And yet, in the midst of that, God says, here's what I want you to do. Plant gardens. Plant gardens? Seek peace. All right. Go ahead and marry and raise your families there. Get used to it. That is such a, a, a tough message to hear because that's not what we want to do. It goes against our, our, our first response. And, and so it's really tough. Uh, Ray Stedman wrote that. He, he said, We are surrounded by false prophets with lying messages, deceptive philosophies, and godless religions. There are even false prophets in the church. We need to listen for God's voice and screen out all of the deceptive babble of the false teachers all around us. You may find yourself in a situation where you're enduring the consequences of some poor decisions or sinful choices of the past. You may have regrets. Your life is unpleasant. There's nothing you can do to change it. What does God say to you about those circumstances? He says to you what He said to the exiled Jews in Babylon. Accept what you cannot change. Make the best of what you can change. Do good to the people around you. Be patient. Wait for God. And He will deliver you when the time is right. I love Jeremiah because it's so relevant to our lives today. We, we, we get mad at the world around us. We want to pull back. We want to separate ourselves. It's interesting. A recent Pew research study showed that the... Uh, Christians were the only religious group in the United States who have not developed a better reputation over the past few years. Why is that? It's because, again, this world, we become increasingly and increasingly dislike the world around us. If we follow Jesus, we're going to look different, we're going to act different, we're going to think differently than the world. Jesus said that. He says you can expect trouble. You can expect persecution. You will suffer. And so if that's the case, right? If that's the case, then it just shows that what Jesus predicted is actually happening. It's interesting if you look at our country. Um, pastors used to be like really well respected in their communities. Right? Your pastor was the local leader of the community. Uh, and so they were, you know, they were uh, well respected in the business circles and uh, they were, you know, asked to speak at functions and they were kind of highly respected. Now, pastors are, are pretty much right down there. If you look at the studies with used car salesmen, <laughs> that's kind of where we land now. That's about the trust level people have of pastors. Um, that's interesting, right? Um, makes me feel good. Like you go somewhere. What do you do? I'm a pastor, and it's like, oh, yeah, forget you. I mean, you don't even, it's like people don't care anymore. They, they treat you differently. The only way, you know, if I tell someone I'm a pastor now, the only thing they change, they just quit cussing around me usually. That's the only difference. <laughs> they don't, like, ask me for advice. They just say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, pastor, bleep, bleep, bleep. And that's kind of that, the only difference. Here's the reality, though. The reason they do that is because of high-profile pastors who've become celebrities who have made 
terrible moral decisions, then the media, then other people kind of promote it and say, see, this is what we've been talking about. Look at the hypocrisy. They're no different than we are. That's what a world does to kind of turn people against believers. They point out the hypocrisy. And so I share that, right, because we've got to realize that we don't hold that place of prominence in our society, in our culture anymore. But it doesn't mean that we don't have a voice. We still have a voice. We still have a place. We still can speak truth. We still can stand up for what is right. And so instead of becoming that holy huddle or that Christian clique or that faithful fellowship, we've got to learn how we can go into the world instead of being molded or shaped by the world, that we go into it boldly proclaiming what we believe and yet sharing love at the same time. That's why Paul says we can speak the truth in love. Uh, we, can, we can do this. It's making sense of the world by making something of the world. That's what Jeremiah was calling them to do. Here's what I want you to know, though. God's plan begins right where we are. We're, the, we're awesome at rationalizing and making excuses and saying, you know, I would talk about God more at work, but you just don't understand the people I work with. They're, they're so intolerant. They wouldn't let. And so if I ever get in a better place, then I will speak about it. Then I'll talk about it. Then I'll do something about it. Oh, you just don't understand. Everybody around here already goes to church. Uh, if I ever get somewhere, if I ever go on a mission trip, then I'll share the gospel. But right now, there's really no need to. I'll just tell you, we may live in the Bible Belt. But I'm amazed at how many people don't know the gospel right here in Galax. They've grown up around it. They've been exposed to it, but they don't know it. Because if you ask them how they're saved, it's going to be like, well, I'm just going to try really hard, and then maybe one day uh, God will let me in heaven. No, that's not the gospel. And yet that's what the majority of people believe. And so we've, we've got to get, we've got to realize that we can still speak truth. Uh, the exiles, they were called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. They weren't called to be troublemakers. They were, were, they were called to pray sincerely for their enemies and to do something about it, to make peace, to, to seek common ground, to, to go out of their way uh, to, to reach them. Uh, I love that, that look for ways for the work for the peace and prosperity of the place where God sent them. And, and so let me just kind of share a little bit. Our mission as a church, if you've been here at Cornerstone, we want people to experience that new life in Christ. We want to see people saved, absolutely. We want to equip them on how to follow Jesus. We want to teach, to train, to disciple, to come alongside them and help them learn how to live their life in a way that honors God. Because once God saves you, He doesn't want to leave you where you were. He wants you to grow in your faith. And then we want to use what we've learned and engage our community and our world for Christ. And when I share that, um, it, it's interesting because if you look at the history of the church over the, like the last 150 years, not Cornerstone, the bigger church, what you see 
is that many evangelical churches, they focus completely on our relationship with God and just getting people saved. And once you're saved, let's just move on. Let's get more people saved. And, and they really don't do much about the world around them. And on the flip side, you've got all these mainline traditional churches over the years uh, that have left the gospel and are not telling people about Jesus anymore, but they're meeting all these needs. They're feeding the hungry and doing all this stuff and all the social justice uh, issues they're, they're doing something about. And, and here's the reality. Do you think we can do both? Do you think we can care about the people in our community while steer, still being faithful to share the gospel with them? I believe we can. And I believe that's what makes Cornerstone unique. And I believe that's what God has placed us right here in the middle, in the heart of our community to do. To be faithful to His Word, to keep telling people about the hope they have in Jesus, but to meet their needs while we're doing it. And so, if as we're meeting needs, we're telling them about Jesus. And as we're telling people about Jesus, we're looking for opportunities to share the love of Christ. And so, I, I, that's part of our mission. It's not compromising what we believe, but it's learning how to balance truth and grace. It's finding that, and it's not always easy to do. And, and that kind of brings me to, uh, to, to this point is I believe there are new ways of reaching people for Christ that no one has thought of yet. I really believe this, that as our society progresses down this path that we see, I don't think it's going to get any better. But I think we're called to continue reaching out in, into it. Uh, I, I think there are going to be new already through the pandemic we've learned new ways to reach people where they're at because i'm telling you as we go down this path as a society people are not going to be knocking down our doors to come to church we're going to have to learn how to go to them we're going to have to learn how to to invite people and to learn what god's doing and go to them because they're not just going to sit back and say oh you know i felt like going to church today no in a world that doesn't know god in a world that has no religious affiliation in a world that has no religious background they're not going to come to church because they're expected to someone's going to have to disciple them first before they come and so uh, I believe there are new ways of reaching people for Christ that no one has even thought of yet. Uh, this, this, this whole idea that God has placed us in the world uh, to, to be in it but not of it, that's really what Jesus prayed for. And Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he's praying for us. Uh, he's on his way to the cross and he's thinking about us. And when he prays to the Father, this is what he says. I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. So I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. It's what Jesus is praying. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them safe while they're reaching into the world. And so this means that we've got to do our homework. We've got to learn to speak the truth in love. We've got to know our Bibles. We've got to know what's right and what's wrong. That means we need the support of other believers around us to hold us accountable and to walk with us, to link arms with us as we go into a, a hostile world. Um, I love um, 
This quote I read this week, it said, The gospel is not meant to be a disembodied message. It is meant to be fleshed out in a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. We believe it. We live it out. We, we come together and work together. It's what Paul talked about in, the, in, in 1 Corinthians when he's like, when I was with, with the Jews, I became like the Jews. And when I was with the Gentiles, I, I, what Paul did in verse 22 uh, of 1 Corinthians 9, he says, When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing what everything I can to save some. That's not compromise to look for a way, to look for common ground that we can come with someone and start sharing about Jesus. That's what being a missionary is all about. We find that common ground. In 1 Peter, it says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. In other words, we live our lives in such a way that they can't even make an accusation against us because of the way we have conducted ourselves. That's how we're called. It goes back to just what Jeremiah says. We seek the prosperity, the welfare of the people around us. We make this place, this community where we live a better place. We, we stay, uh, we continue sharing love. We continue sharing hope. And the reason we do that is because this world is not our home. This is temporary. This is temporary. We, we may think that we're going to, uh, you know, it may seem like a long time. We may grow weary. We may grow frustrated. But God is reminding us that he still has a plan. That he's still in control. And that is the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 that Jennifer shared earlier. And the context of don't get tired, don't grow weary because you're right in the middle of a battle. You may not be where you want to be, but God has you where he wants you to be. And in the midst of that, we read, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In verse 12, he says, In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's the hope we have. This is not our home. One day we get to be with Jesus forever. And that's why we keep pressing forward today. That's why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who hate us and persecute us and use us. We continue to pray for them. That's why Paul says in Galatians, so let's not get tired of doing what's good at just the right time. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So I just want to share that with you today. Just to, to, to tell you, it's all right if you don't feel like you're in the right place. I think that's part of life. It's all right to feel out of place. It's all right to feel like you don't belong. It's all right to say, this is not my home. It's all right to, to look. And for me, when I look at politics, I just increasingly look and say, I want Jesus to come back and fix everything. I, I, I just look and I look, I feel like I don't have a home sometimes. And it's because that's how God designed us 
to look forward, to long, to be that, that time where He's going to come back and make everything right again. And so we do that. We look forward uh, to His return. And so I just wanted to tell you, don't grow tired. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't fall into that trap. I'm telling you, the, the, one of the worst things a church can say is we've always done it that way. Uh, the, we don't want to do anything different. Uh, we're just going to do what we've always done. Or I've done my time. I don't want to do any more. No, we've got to keep pressing forward. We've got to keep looking for ways to share the gospel with the world around us. And we've got to continue to evaluate our ministries, our efforts, everything about what we do in light of this. Okay, is this working? Are we meeting people? Are we finding common ground? Are we sharing the love of Jesus and the truth of His Word with the people who desperately need it? That's who we are as a church. And so I'm glad today you got to hear a little bit about who we are and why we do what we do. Uh, it's because we care about this community we live in. And we want to make it better. And we want people to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so it, I'll just close today by saying, do you know Him? That's where it starts. It starts with you having a relationship with God. So our praise team is going to come back up. We're going to close with our time of response. And, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, have a time of worship here. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father... Today, as we opened your word, we just got to learn more about your heart for the nations. Your heart for people who don't know you. And Lord, even when we find ourselves in a place that may be hostile, we learn what we're called to do. So give us the strength, the discernment, uh, the tenacity that we need to continue to stand firm in what we believe. Help us to be in the world, but not of the world. Help us to learn how to stand firm on what we believe. We need each other to do that. We need to, to get in your word to, to do that. And so, Lord, help us uh, just to, to be faithful. Lord, I pray for those who are listening online. I pray for those in this room that they would be able to proclaim boldly that, yes, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There's no doubt that I've made him the Lord, my Savior. 1 John 5.13 tells us, I write these words to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's my prayer today, that we would know. That we would know. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the many devoted people who are serving and looking for new ways to reach this community. Help us not to compromise our convictions, to compromise what your word tells us to do that but help us to stand firm and yet still show people love lord we just thank you and we need your strength we need courage we need boldness to do it so it's in the name of jesus we pray this morning amen